astonished to hear the ensemble playing this morning. It was really beautiful. I expected there to be virtually no one here today because of the weather, and I was told that a lot of the members were going to be gone today. Actually, that's why I think they asked me to preach today. They thought, well, we'll have, no one will be here, so we'll have Dr. Trot Peerage. <laughs> and <laughs> so, um, but when I listen to the people playing in this thing, I am just very humbled and astonished because if you go anywhere else out, the, I remember in the summertime, in the afternoons, we'll go by church and there'll be young people hanging around and they're smoking cigarettes and doing drugs and God knows what else. And their lives are in disarray. And it is such a privilege and inspiring for me to see, especially the young people who are, who've mastered musical instruments and they play and they sing beautifully. It is just a, a really inspiring event. So I'm, I'm really thankful to have seen that. So I'd like to thank you all for that. I think that if someone were to ask, what, are there any advantages to being a Christian? I'd have to say, I would point to the young people in this church and say, just look and behold. Look at the kind of people they're becoming. It's, it's really an inspiring event to see you all. I wish every child could grow up with this kind of advantage. Now, I've been reading Patriarchs and Prophets for the first time through. Uh, and the more I read it, the more humbled I, I become and the more astonished I am by the messages that she gives, is giving in here. Now. I've heard many people say, when they give sermons, I've heard people disparage Ellen White, but think of the irony of that. They stand up before a church audience and say, I want you to believe that I am inspired and that my words come from the Lord, but I don't want you to believe anybody else, just I'm the only one who can really be inspired. I mean, there's kind of an irony in that when people get up and they disparage those who have been given a blessing and a message. Now, I believe that the Lord inspires not only Ellen White, but many people, in fact, even animals with messages. Remember there's a story in the Bible about, who is it, Elijah ran off to the desert to get away from Queen Jezebel, and who brought him bread? And, and there was what the crows brought him bread and water, and uh, or bread. And, and I'm reading the story now about Balaam, who was a prophet of the Lord, and he set out on his voyage to go to Balak, the king of the Midianites, and Moab. And his donkey talked to him and said, you know, why are you beating me? I'm, I'm trying to protect you from the angel of the Lord because there was an angel with a drawn sword standing in the path. So even dumb animals can be inspired. Now, if a dumb animal can be inspired, then I like to think there's hope for me. <laughs> so, and for everybody. And so 
I mean, it's always kind of inspiring to read these stories. And when you read anything in the Bible or in the spirit of prophecy, try to say, how does this apply to us today? You have, you have to translate the principles into, modern, into our modern lifestyle. Now, it's also very humbling for me to read this because as I read these passages, I, I'm not only looking for the principle, but I'm trying to see how this applies to my life individually. And unfortunately, as I read some of these stories, I discover that that's me in these pages here. You know, the things that, that these people are doing, you know, I've, I've expressed the same doubt. If you look at, I started looking at all the mistakes that Balaam made. He was a prophet of the Lord, and he was asked to curse the people of Israel. And he, he was promised very great riches. And the king, King Balak, said, tell Balaam that I will give him anything he asks for. Just come and curse. I will give you very great riches. Anything, any condition that you require, I will meet. Now, can you imagine a king saying that to you? That's an incredible temptation. You know, you could ask for all of his wealth, and it sounds like he's going to give it to you. That reminds me of a story. There was a, uh, a chess master who was asked by one of the Russian czars for, you know, as a reward for his great skill, let me give you a gift. What would you like? And he said, well, I want you to put, take a chessboard, put one grain of rice on the first square, two grains on the second square, four grains on the third square, and so on up until you fill up the whole board with rice. And the king says, no, the emperor said, no problem. But then when they actually calculated it out, it turned out it would be more rice, or more wheat, actually, than there was in the entire kingdom. The number was two to the 64th grains of rice. And um, in fact... Two to the 64th, let me calculate that now. Um, oh gosh, I'll have to figure out, oh yeah. Two, well I have to figure out how to do it, but it's this phenomenal amount. So Balaam was promised anything the king desired. And as I read this, I'd like to read this passage about Balaam's thinking about whether he wants to go or not with these people. He knew, Mrs. White wrote, he knew beforehand what God's will was. He's not supposed to go and curse the people of Israel because they're blessed of the Lord. So he knows this already. But he said he needed to spend the, the night in prayer to determine the Lord's will. He's a very pious man. And, you know, I, I thought about myself how many times I've, you know, I mean, from simple things like, oh, having a third piece of pie won't really hurt anything, you know, on, and on up. But 
And it gets worse from there. But anyway, Balaam, he, he was going to pray. In the night season, the Lord appeared to Balaam and said, If these men come to call on thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I say unto you, this shall you speak only. Thus far the Lord would permit Balaam to follow his own will, not because it was God's will, but because Balaam was determined to go. So the Lord said, you know, you want to go? Go ahead and go. So the Lord doesn't force us to obey him. He guides us and shows us what to do. And if we want to obey, it's entirely up to us. We don't have to make, he's not going to force us. That puts a lot of responsibility on us. That we have to constantly ask ourselves what God's will is in this matter. And it's like someone came to me once and said, do you think women should be ordained? And I said, fine, go ahead. I mean, if it's up to me, go ahead. But it's not up to me. That's not my decision to make. And I went through a study of the Old Testament of the people who assumed to be representatives of the Lord and to correct and improve his method of worship. And you can start with Cain. Cain was given, he, he was told to bring a lamb for sacrifice. Well, he didn't want to have a lamb because he was a farmer. He had fruit from this crop. So he brought that instead. And the Lord said that's not acceptable. And he was downcast, depressed by the Lord. And he eventually got angry at his brother Abel and slew his brother Abel because his brother Abel was more righteous than him. When I used to work in the Caribbean for about seven years, and I found out that there's really only one unforgivable sin down in the Caribbean, and that is doing anything better than anyone else or suggesting that they might do better. They, if you do anything that is, can be conceived of being better or more superior, you're not forgiven for that. You're making them look bad. And, um, you know, it was a real challenge sometimes. I remember having my own brothers-in-law would say to me, who were born in Trinidad, you think because you're an American and because you're white, you can tell us what to do but you can't. And they were, you know, really resentful. They matured as they got older. I mean, we're all incredibly wise when we're teenagers. But then when we get a little bit older, we see the world looks very differently. And that same person who told me that I could not tell him what to do, he's now in medical school in the Philippines, and he'll call me up on the phone and say, you know, I'm having this problem and this situation. What should I do and how should I handle this? And I'm astonished that I never thought I'd see the day when he would call and ask for advice. I mean, it's just an incredible turnaround. So anyway, back to Balaam. Thus far, 
the Lord would permit Balaam to follow his own will because he was determined to do it. He did not seek to do the will of God, but chose his own course and then endeavored to secure the sanction of the Lord. And that is a temptation that I think I know that I've fallen to many times. That I wanted to think, and then I pray the Lord, bless this, you know, like, you know, give me permission to do this. And you kind of know all the while that it's not what he wants you to do. Um, she goes on to write, there are thousands at the present day who are pursuing a similar course. They would have no difficulty in understanding their duty if it were in harmony with their inclinations. Let's see. It is plainly set before them in the Bible or clearly indicated by circumstances and reason, but because the evidences are contrary to their desires and inclinations, they frequently set them aside and presume to go to the Lord to learn of their duty. With great apparent conscientiousness, they pray long and earnestly for light, but God will not be trifled with. He often permits such persons to follow their own desires and to suffer the result. My people would not hearken to my voice, so I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. I was talking to a, a psychologist one day, and I was asking her to make a decision about treatment. And she goes, I'm not sure. Let me consult my feelings <laughs> and decide whether or not I want to do this or not. Well, you know, when we consult our hearts, sometimes we get, you'll always get the answer you want, but not the answer that we should. In fact, I kind of learned when I, shortly after becoming a Christian, that, and I followed this for, for about five years after I got baptized, if I wanted to do something, I knew that was the wrong thing to do. And so I would do the opposite of that. And it had remarkably good results. So I, I actually learned that if I think about what I really want to do, that's the wrong thing to do. It's usually... The path of duty is usually very difficult and, and challenging and hard. And I mean, when I got accepted to dental school, I didn't really want to go to dental school. And my parents asked me, they said, we were examining the letter of acceptance we got and trying to decide if I should go or not. And my parents said, what do you want to do? What do you really want to do? And I said to them, what I want to do has nothing to do with this. The question is, what is, what is our duty? What is our responsibility? What would the Lord have us do? And my parents were kind of surprised by that, that I would say what I wanted had nothing to do with this. And I ended up going, and I, I'm really glad I made that decision against my will, I might say. I think it's overall been a wonderful blessing. Let me finish this paragraph here. But because the evidences are contrary to their desires and inclinations, 
they frequently set them aside and presume to go to God to learn their duty. With great apparent conscientiousness, they pray, they pray long and earnestly for light. But God will not be trifled with. He often permits such persons to follow their own desire and to suffer the results. My people will not hearken to my voice. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. And I see that all around me every day. At where I work, at the dental school, they were having trouble trying to determine how to assess the performance of the students. They tried one method, they had a point system, and they made the point system so you had to have so many points that half the class didn't graduate on time and had to stay back another year. The students were really upset. The alumni were upset, their parents were upset, the banks were upset by this. And so they scrapped that and then they had no system at all. They just would say, well, you have to be on clinic every day or they did it by attendance. But then they also said, but you're grown adults so we're not gonna keep track of your attendance. And that didn't work. Because literally, if it was a beautiful day and there were reports coming from the ocean that there was nice surf up there, about six or seven of the students would disappear and, and go surfing. My classmates knew that. And I'd go into the clinic and there'd be a lot of empty chairs and I'd go, Surf's up. <laughs> I could, you could tell right away what was going on. And uh, so they tried having this non-mandatory attendance, and that didn't work. And now they're on a system where they're looking at the financial production of each student. And you have to have, I don't know, $43,000 in production before you can graduate. What that means is that when the patients come in, that the students look at the treatment that needs to be done. And I've watched students do this. They go and they pick out the treatment is the most expensive, and they want to do that first. And it doesn't work. And, I, and I'm going, you know, they want to, for example, if you're going to do a crown, which is an expensive procedure, it's $500 at the school. Before you do anything like that, you're supposed to clean the gums up, make sure the patient's brushing and flossing and taking care of themselves because you don't want to spend all that money. And if the patient isn't caring for them, it's going to rot out in a short amount of time. I mean, one of my teachers, a very good teacher, Dr. Kenneth Weichel, when he graduated from dental school, and he probably graduated about 60 years ago, he went to Canada and was working on an Indian reservation in northern Canada, he was sent there by the Canadian Health Service, working in this extremely remote Indian village. And they had just recently created a road, a dirt road, but a road nonetheless to get to this village. And on this road, he traveled to get to the village, but trucks also came carrying Coca-Cola and soft drinks, which the native Indians would buy because it was it was delicious, yeah, wonderful. And um, they saw all the ads on television of all the bright and beautiful drinking Coca-Cola. They wanted to be like that. So he worked there, and they started drinking a lot of soft drinks. And he said all the dental work that he did rotted out within two years. 
the carries rate was so high, he did beautiful work, but it all disappeared within two years from decay. He had a nervous breakdown because he felt like he was, it was, all for, it was all for nothing. And he had to come home ever after, I mean, he couldn't work anymore. He had literally had a nervous breakdown and he had to come home. So, you know, I think when we consult our heart and our feelings, we often err, often go astray. And it's really important, I think, for us to ask not what do we want to do, but what is our duty? And she says a lot about duty later on in this chapter, and I'll read it all to you, but she essentially says we should be ready to immediately discharge our duties. And, I mean, you all know I used to be the treasurer, and I was always, what, two or three weeks behind in that. That's not immediate, okay? That's, that was negligent. I was not doing my duty. And, you know, I look back on that, and I think, boy, I, I think I, I, I made it hard for some people because of that. So I think that we all have things where, and when you get to, if those of you are going to be doctors and nurses and PAs, it gets much harder when you're a healthcare provider. Because if you see something that needs to be done and you don't immediately do it, there can be grave consequences. And that's happened. I've, I'm ashamed to say that I've had cases where I didn't respond immediately and the patients because of it. And that's, you know, when that happens, that's a horrible experience for a doctor to go through. Realize that you, you look back and you, you, you might have done something differently. Now, we tend to be overly hard on ourselves because if something does go wrong, you always go back and say, well, if I had known what was going to happen, I would have done this and this. We tend to torture ourselves. So, I mean, every doctor has patients who don't do well. There is this myth that if you get sick, you go to the doctor and they give you some medicine or give you some advice and you follow it and you'll get better. It doesn't work that way. I heard a physician say, he was explaining this myth that the patients have that they're going to get better. He says, no, that's not what happens. We are going to get old. We're going to get sick when we get old. We'll spend two weeks in the hospital and then we'll die. He says, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah, there's no magic pill when you finally get old. And he said, on top of that, those last two weeks in the hospital are going to cost you a quarter of a million dollars. And your finances will be completely drained and ruined. So, anyway, it's actually hard to be a doctor, I'm finding out. Because there are some people you just can't help. You try and try and try, but it just doesn't. It's very, very difficult. And nurses learn that too. Nurses have to watch their patients die all the time. And it's really gut-wrenching. It, it just tears your heart out when you see that. I, I worked for a neurosurgeon and he told me the average neurosurgeon dies when they're 55 years old. Now this was some 30 years ago I was talking to this. 
that may have been, I'm hoping it's better now, but he says the stress, he said half of my patients die on the operating, in the operating table. Half of my patients die because they're gunshot wounds and motorcycle accidents, their heads are crashed in and he'll work on them for six hours and there's nothing more he can do and they die on the table. And everybody walks out and they're just, the nurses, the doctors, the anesthesiologists, they go out, they weep. So, I mean, it, things are really difficult out there. Here's the passage she talks about duty. When one clearly sees a duty, let him not presume to go to God with prayer that he may be excused from performing it. Now, we don't go to, now if we know our duty, we don't say, well, Lord, I don't want to do this. Can you find some other way around it? Usually I'll go, oh, Lord, do I, is this, is this what you want me to do? I know that's what he wants me to do. I just thought I'd ask in case he changed his mind, you know. And uh, I'll keep asking until he changes his mind. And finally, like he said to Balaam, you know, he told Balaam not to go with these representatives of the king, but eventually he said, go. And the Lord will do that to us too. If we keep asking and asking, he'll eventually say, go. Because he doesn't force us. That's a theme that, that appears all throughout the Bible. God does not force us to do anything. He asks us, and we have to voluntarily follow. When one clearly sees a duty, let him not presume to go to God with prayer that he may be excused from performing it. He should rather, with a humble, submissive spirit, ask for divine strength and wisdom to meet its claims. I mean, I don't know how many times, I've, even at work, I've been, you know, you're exhausted. I have a friend who's an emergency room physician, and he's worked 48 hours straight at times. And after you work a long, I mean, after I work eight hours, I am drained, because you have to make constant decisions. I've got eight students working underneath me. There's eight patients they're seeing, and I'm responsible for all of them, and I have to make interventions, and, and it's, it's really exhausting. It's like trying to play eight pianos at once. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just exhausted. And if I forget to pray for wisdom when I'm that tired, I will make incorrect decisions. I, the tendency is you're going to make, take the easy choice, take the easy road. It's always the wrong decision. So we need, he's, she writes, whoever perceives his or her duty should rather, with a humble, submissive spirit, ask for divine strength and wisdom to meet its claims. So, I think the Lord, all of us, there are duties that are presented before us that are distasteful and annoying and unpleasant and unwelcome. But rather than then complain about them. We should ask the Lord for the strength. And I believe he will give us the strength to go through it. Now, I know that all of you have had great trials that you've had to go through. 
and you will have greater yet in the days ahead. I fully expect, I mean, you know, when you read the news every day, it seems like the news gets worse and worse. I used to love watching the news when I was younger, but I try not to read it anymore because it's so depressing. It's really discouraging. And the, and the, and in the book of Revelation, it talks about the plagues that are going to come upon us. So I fully expect that those things will be fulfilled, maybe in our lifetime, some of them. So we have to learn how to handle great difficulties and great trials and great sorrows. And how does the Lord prepare us to do that? By having us go through trials in our individual lives. I was going through a trial this past week, and I thought I was going to be crushed by it. And I was praying to the Lord, you know, how can I endure this trial, this, this burden? And the Lord said to me, so you think you're the only one that has to bear burdens? Look at the burdens that Christ bore. What you're going through is nothing in comparison to what he went through his last hours on earth. Why are you complaining so much? Man up. You know, and that's kind of like, whoa. You know, when you get an answer to prayer like that, it's, it's very sobering. But it's nice to know that even when you get answers like that, that the Lord's still thinking about you. You know, he still is answering your prayers. He's still, he's not solving all your problems, but, and I, and I realize that, that these trials that we go through help prepare us for greater trials yet ahead. I've also learned that we're all, we're all very, very fragile. It doesn't take much to knock us off of equilibrium. I mean, I work with doctors. If something goes wrong, they'll get mad, and, and managers, too, pick up a coffee cup and throw it across the, the room. Now, as a doctor, I've watched doctors do that, I'm sad to say. And if you do that in the presence of a patient, you've completely lost that patient's confidence and all their family and all their neighbors forever. You know, this, this, the, the amount of self-control you have to have when you're working with the public, not just doctors, but anybody who works with the public, you have to have infinite self-control because the public will infinitely try you. I'm sure, Mary Angela, you work with the public all the time. And how many times you have to button your lip? And <laughs> it's really difficult. So the Lord prepares us for trials by bringing us through trials. And we just have to learn to bear them and endure them. And it's a real challenge for us to do that. Now, what does the Lord require of us? What is our duty? In fact, isn't that a, a question in the Old Testament? What does the Lord require of you? but to love justice, and how does it go? Yes. 
And there's lots of other passages in the Bible where he talks about duty. I want to read one from Genesis. And it talks about, a, in an indirect way, about the duties that are going to fall on Abraham. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? This is when the Lord was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord says, Should I tell Abraham or not? Now, imagine God having this conversation. Should I tell Manuel what I'm about to do? You know, or Mary, Mary, should I tell Mary Angelie what I'm about to do? Can you imagine God saying that about us, any one of us? He's treating you like this incredible friend. You know? I mean, that's just astonishing that he would do that. The Lord said, shall I, tell, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Well, maybe he's not going to make each one of us a great and powerful nation, but I still believe he wants all the people that we interface with to be blessed. It's, it's astonishing. I mean, this morning you were telling us you were trying to reach all of your classmates in your, in your program and, and, in a sense, be a witness to them. That's what he really wants us to do, to, be, to meet everybody and to be a blessing to everybody. That's an incredible responsibility. We can't do that on our own strength. I mean, at the end of the day, 5 o'clock comes and... All the other teachers leave, and students come to me with questions, and I want to go home really bad. And I look at that poor student, and I just feel like, you know, something says, you know, there's this voice telling me, you want me to bless you and nurture you and help you and do everything I can to help, and you don't want to take five minutes to help this person? Is that fair? You know, so I end up staying till 6 or 6.30 or 7 or something to try to help them. And it's hard to explain to my wife where I've been, you know. <laughs> Why weren't you home? But I feel like it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a privilege and a blessing to be able to do that. It really is when you can help and be a blessing to someone. The Lord goes on to say, For I have chosen him that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Doing what is right and just. I mean, it, it doesn't say merely keeping the Ten Commandments. No, it goes way beyond that. I want you to do what is right and just. You're an adult. You know what the law is. I, you know, you should be able to figure this out. What's right and just? That's, an, that's like an infinite duty. You can never fulfill it. There's always more to do. And, but he expects us to do that. And there's no excuses here. There's no room for delay. It says, 
for I have chosen him. The Lord has chosen you, every one of you, so that you will direct your children and your household after him to keep the way of the Lord and to do what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised for him. Or we may say, the Lord wants you to do what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for you what he has promised for you. So his blessings are conditional. He, he gives us these duties. Sometimes they're open-ended, like do what's right and just. And that's, that's astonishing that he would have that much, much trust. He doesn't treat us like children or slaves. He treats us like we're grown adults and, you know, we can figure this out. And he talks to us like we're friends. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I mean, he, we're on the level of friends with God. Christ said, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Now, knowing that, that you have this duty to do what is right and just, I'm fully confident that you will. Now, it doesn't matter what profession you're in. If you're a doctor or a nurse, a teacher, a social worker, a housewife, a mother, a plumber or a carpenter, you're going to be the best mother, the best carpenter, the best doctor in the world because you're going to do what's right and just. So I am now standing in the presence of the best people in the world, the most talented, gifted, the most accomplished, the most likely to succeed. Because God has said he will bring about for you what he has promised for you. And I want you to go forth knowing that, that you are going to be the best. I tell my students when there's a really difficult case and they say, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't have enough experience to know and, I, and maybe we should get someone else to do this. And, and I'll say, you know, you're right. We need someone who's really skilled and really talented. Someone with a little bit of experience. We need the best doctor in the world for this patient. Who can we get? We need you. <laughs> they go, me? They're overwhelmed by that. But they do it, and they do really well. And so I think that God expects all of, all of us to do what's right and just, to do our very best, and to, because he's going to give us the strength to succeed. We're not succeeding by our own strength and wisdom. We're succeeding by his. And so the next time a problem comes along, I want you to assume that he will give you the strength and the wisdom to do it. And even in, like, for the young people who are in school, I was talking to one of my nieces the other day, and she's, 
I think she's nine year old, and they're giving, she's taking a math class, and they're having, asking her to solve probability problems. And you know, she's nine years old, and she just has no clue how to do these things. And I looked through her notes and everything, and I can't figure out how to do it. And so I thought, well, it's, it's rolling dice, so I just, I'm gonna make this little matrix of all the possible, you know, like all the possible outcomes from throwing dice. It's not that hard, it's a six by six square. And you just fill out what the sum of throwing all the dice will be. And they're asking questions like, how many different ways can you roll a six? And I'm gonna show her, well, you can just count all the sixes there are in this little square, and that's the answer. So there's a simple way of doing this. So she can, she can answer these questions. But they didn't show her that in any of the books. They don't have that. But there is a simple way. So usually, especially when you're in school, there's often a simpler way of, of, of solving problems. I remember you asked me a chemistry question once, and I had this long, convoluted way of solving it, and then you came along and said, well, what about if we use this ratio? And it became terribly simple. Now, I haven't done chemistry for a long time, so I hope you'll forgive me for my, my lapse, but you know, there's a, the Lord will show you a, a better way of doing it, and the Lord will, I want you to know the Lord's going to expand your mind. I had an extremely poor memory when I was young. I couldn't, if you gave me a book and I read the book and asked me who the author was, I couldn't tell you who the author of the book was that I just read. I mean, it was really embarrassing for me. I couldn't remember things. And the other day, we were having a meeting and they forgot to bring all the patient charts with them. And my supervisor said, oh, we don't need the charts. Dr. Trott has a really good memory. He'll tell us everything about it. And so they just went off my memory on all these, on the charts they're going through. And I, because was, I was surprised that they trusted me with, to remember all these details. But they did. And so the Lord can expand your capabilities. He can improve your memory. Now, I actually had to work on improving my memory and I would do it by memorizing the book of Proverbs. And I only got through the first five chapters, but I had them memorized and I could recite them just like that. I've forgotten a lot of them now, but you have to work at it, but it is possible to improve your memory and your wisdom too. So I want each of you today in closing to remember that you are going to be the best in the world at whatever you're doing and that no one else is going to be as much of a blessing to each person you interact with as you are because you're going to be given divine wisdom and skill and patience. And I expect you, I'm hoping that you will assume that you're going to be successful. What we need more than anything is hope often. And if you can have hope that, you're going to, that the Lord is going to somehow carry you through this, through every difficulty, then you'll persevere and keep going. So that's my prayer for you. I'd like to have a closing prayer for all of you. Dear Father in heaven, help us to see our duty and to perform it immediately without whining, moaning, complaining, or asking you even if you... 
do you still want me to do this? Is this really what you want me to do? But rather, help us to come to you to ask, how can I find the strength and the wisdom to perform this duty? I pray, Lord, that you'll give everyone in this room the wisdom and the strength, not only to perceive their duty, but to discharge it successfully. Give them wisdom and skill, courage, perseverance, and understanding. And may they be the best in the entire world at what they're doing for each person that they're working with so that your name will be glorified and honored and so that you can fulfill your promises to each of them. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you.